Judges chapter 13, starting at verse number 1. The Bible says, And the children of Israel did evil against again in the sight of the Lord. And the Lord delivered them into the hands of the Philistines forty years. And there was a certain man of Zorah, of the family of the Danites, whose name was Manoah, and his wife was barren and bare not. And the angel of the Lord appeared unto the woman and said unto her, Behold now, thou art barren and bearest not, but thou shalt conceive and bear a son. Now therefore beware, I pray thee, and drink not wine nor strong drink, and eat not any unclean thing, for lo, thou shalt conceive and bear a son, and no razor shall come on his head. For the child shall be a Nazarite unto God from the womb, and he shall begin begin to deliver Israel out of the hand of the Philistines. And I'm going to jump down to verse number 24. And the woman bare a son and called his name Samson. And the child grew, and the Lord blessed him. And the Spirit of the Lord began to move him at times in the camp of Dan between Zorah and Eshtalo. And let's pray this evening as we begin. Our journey for our Lord, we thank you once again for bringing us to your house, Lord, where we can open your word and hear truth, Lord. And I pray that tonight as I speak, Lord, that you'd only allow me to speak truth, Lord, and that I'd be able to, um, to preach your message, Lord, and not my own, Lord, and that you'd speak to hearts, Lord. I pray these things in your son's precious name. Amen. So we're here in Judges, and a while back I preached the message uh, from Judges on Gideon. I spoke about Gideon and how he was my favorite character in the Bible and how God uses different people in the Bible, and often people that you don't think God would use, and he uses them. And Gideon was one of those examples. And we see Gideon in uh, Judges chapter 6, and he's uh, this young man. He's in, in perspective with Samson. He's someone who's weak. He's someone who's scared. We see him in that passage. He's hiding, and he's not, he's not wanting to be out in the open because he's fair, uh, afraid of being attacked, and he's just a cautious person. And you picture Gideon, you think of Gideon, and you think of that character, and you think of this little shaky character, skinny, hiding, and not, not thinking God can use him. But we see great things happen with Gideon. We see that he, he did a lot of things. We see one of the things he did was stand up for right. Even at one point when his parent or his father was in sin, he stood up for what was right. And in that passage, as you read through it, we see Gideon, and we see this this person that you don't think that could be used, and he's empowered by God. And we see that God gives him this unbelievable victory. When you look at the numbers and the size of the army of 300 and the size of the, the army that he went up against, and that God gave him the victory. And there was no doubt that God did in his life. And then when you, you think of the opposite of what Gideon was, I think of Samson. And tonight we're going to look at Samson and when you think of Samson in the story, you think of the strong person. We know that he was strong. But I also think of other things. I think of someone who's proud. Someone who liked to show off. As, as we go through his life, we see that uh, quite a bit. And unlike some people in the Bible, you, we don't really know much about his heart. It doesn't give us an insight into what his heart was, where it was. But um, we know uh, from the beginning... Um, chapters uh, from what we know of Samson, we know that the Lord blessed him as a child. But we can only observe what is laid out before us in these three chapters, um, Judges 13, 14, 13, 14, 
15, maybe it's four chapters, uh, that go over his life. Um, and that's how we can take from it. And we know that he judged um, for 20 years and God still used him. Uh, we read several times throughout the, the chapters of Samson that uh, it uses the phrase that, phrase that God came upon him mightily. And we see someone like Samson who had so much uh, promise. You know, God had a plan for his life. Um, we, we read that he was miraculously conceived and he was for the purpose of delivering Israel. That was his plan. That was God's plan for his life. But yet still, as you read these chapters, you notice something about Samson. Samson called the shots in his life. His life and his motives, when you examine them, they aren't comparable to other judges or other men that are used by God in the Bible. You know, oftentimes you see different men in the Bible that are used of God, different judges, and you see in their life they, they do everything they can to honor God. What their, their motive for serving, their motive for their, their battles, their motives for everything in their life, it flows through wanting to honor God and His plan. You see other men who seek after God in, in, in their lives, and they just, they constantly pursue God, wanting to know Him more. You see uh, judges who they mourn the sin of Israel or leaders of Israel who they had that heart of God and they empathize and they and they they mourned over Israel's sin, especially as a judge and and seeing the captivity of the nation of Israel and where they are and how they would turn from God time after time and they would they would mourn over the sin of Israel. Or you'd see people that would avenge God or stand up for his honor or uh, for example, David, when he fights Goliath, why did he do that? He didn't do it for his own good. He did it because they were defying the name of the living God. But then we see Samson and his motives, as far as we know, as you read through this, were, were personal. And a lot of his motives were in the heat of the moment. And he constantly stepped outside of boundaries that were laid out in his life. And as I was reading through this passage and I was reading through his life and studying it, I was like, the phrase kind of in my mind, I said, man, this is the Samson show. Because as you're reading it and he's doing all these things and you're like, why is he doing, like, what are his motives behind it? And everything in my mind, it was like, that's just the Samson show. He's calling his own shots in his life. And I want to observe part of this show, that what the things that he did in his life. Um... We're going to look at a few uh, verses this evening. And the first one I want you to notice is in chapter 14, verses 1 to 3. And Samson went down to Timnath and saw a woman in Timnath of the daughters of the Philistines. And he came up and told his father and his mother and said, I have seen a woman in Timnath of the daughters of the Philistines. Now therefore get her for me to wife. Then his father and his mother said unto him, Is this, is there never a woman among the daughters of thy brethren or among all my people that thou goest to take a wife of the uncircumcised Philistines? And Samson said unto his father, Get her for me, for she pleaseth me well. And the, the first thing I know, you notice in his life is the way he commands his parents. You know, his parents are trying to, to lead him and guide him and the language that he uses towards his parents, it's just, no, get them. I, I see something that I want. 
go get them. Because in those days, it was up to the parents to go down and speak to the families. And they would arrange the marriages and make arrangements like that. So he went to his parents. He saw that's as far as it was. He saw her and he wanted her. And he went and he commanded his parents. Um, so as, as his uh, mother and father, they're going down uh, to meet the father of this woman that he had seen. And in verse number 9, the Bible says, And he took thereof in his hands and went on eating and came to his father and mother and gave them, and they did eat. But he told them not that he had taken the honey out of the carcass of the lion. And as you read through the passage, they're going down, and he comes across a lion, and he kills this, uh, kills this lion, and as they're on their way back, um, they see this, he sees the carcass and he sees it, uh, a, uh, a swarm of bees and he sees the honey. And as we know, or as we'll look at later, he was a, he was a Nazarite and he had taken the vow and he wasn't supposed to touch, um, unclean thing. He wasn't supposed to touch dead bodies. And we see here being deceitful and he, he goes and he touches of this dead body and he has this honey and he is, even goes as far to uh, give it to his parents and he knew that he wasn't supposed to touch it. So he, the Bible makes mention that he didn't tell them where he got it from. As we read through the passage, um, it goes down to this time of a wedding feast. And um, verses 11 to 14, it says, And it came to pass, when they saw him, that they brought thirty companions to be with him. And Samson said unto them, I will now put forth a riddle unto you. If ye can certainly declare, it with, uh, declare me within the seven days of the feast, and find it out, then I will give you thirty sheets and thirty chains of the garments. But if you cannot declare it me, then shall you give me thirty sheets and thirty chains of garments. And they said unto him, Put forth thy riddle, that we may hear it. And he said unto them, Out of the eater came forth meat, and out of the strong came forth sweetness. And they could not in three days expound the riddle. So here he, he, they have this wedding feast, or it, to me it looks more like a bachelor party. There's thirty 30 men, and as we read that, he went down to the to uh, Timnath with his mother and father. So he wasn't there with friends. So he was in uh, with the Philistines, and they brought 30 so-called companions or guests to this wedding feast or, or, or this bachelor party. And he, he offers them this riddle, which, of course, he's talking about uh, the lion that he had slain and the honey that he had taken from it. And... I picture Samson here, just from what we know of him and his um, um, his proudness, I picture him being there at this party and it being extravagant and they're preparing the feast and him just being so proud and saying, okay, I got a riddle for you guys. And he makes this bet with them. And he has this bet. And as you read on through the passage, uh, they eventually convince his wife or his betrothed betrothed wife to uh, tell them what the answer to the riddle was and she gets the answer from him and they give him the answer and he's upset and we see that he has his bet and he and he needs to fulfill uh, the promise so in verse number 19 it says and the spirit of the Lord came upon him and he went down to Ashkelon and slew 30 men of them and took their spoil and gave change of garments unto them which expounded the riddle and his anger was kindled, and he went up to his father's house. So we see here he slays 30 men to fulfill his end of the deal. And once again, we see that he takes the garments off of these bodies. So once again, he's breaking the boundaries that were laid out before him as he touches these dead bodies to get the garments from them to fulfill this uh, bet that he has. 
And we see that he leaves in anger. He leaves his wife there. And he comes to find out later when he goes back that he was give, that she was given to his companion. We see that in uh, chapter 15, verse number 2. And her father said, I verily thought that thou hast utterly hated her. Therefore I gave her to thy companion. Is not her younger sister fairer than she? Take her, I pray thee, instead of her. So he leaves there in anger, and he, when he comes back, he realizes this, and he finds out that they get, that she has been given to one of these so-called companions, and he's upset about that. And um, he, at this point, we see that he ties 300 foxes together. He goes out, and he ties 300 foxes together, places a torch, and sends it through the Philistines' crops. And we see that in uh, verses 4. Uh, to six, it says, and Samson went and caught three hundred foxes and took firebrands and turned tail to tail and put a firebrand in the midst between two tails. And when he had set the brands on fire, he let them go into the standing corn of the Philistines and burnt up both the shocks and also the standing corn with the vineyards and olives. Then the Philistines said, Who hath done this? And they answered, Samson, the son of the Timnite, because he had taken his wife and given her to his companion. And the Philistines came up and burnt her and her father with fire. So we see here that, as I mentioned, he reacts to things. That was one of his, his attributes is that he, in the heat of the moment, he would do these things. And because of it, we see he loses his wife and his father-in-law. And once again, because of his own doing of what had happened and his anger and leaving and losing his wife and then reacting with the foxes, once again he retaliates because of what had happened to his wife and father-in-law. And then we see that in verse number 8 it says, and he smote them hip and thigh with a great slaughter, basically saying he was merciless in slaughtering them and he went down and dwelt in the top of the rock Etam. So he slaughters them mercilessly and as you keep reading through the passage, we see the Philistines come upon him on top of the hill and they tie him up. And we see that God once again empowers him and he slays 1,000 men. We see that in verses 15 uh, to 16. The Bible says, And he found a new jawbone of an ass and put forth his hand and took it and slew a 1,000 men therewith. And Samson said, With the jawbone of an ass, heaps upon heaps, with the jaw of an ass, have I slain a 1,000 men. And in verse number 17, it says, And it came to pass when he had made an end of speaking that he cast away the jawbone out of his hand and called that place Ramath-Lehi. So after this battle, and he kills all these men, and you can almost see the proudness in him, the cockiness as he speaks, and he says, I have slain a thousand men. He takes the jawbone and he throws it. And he calls the place Ramath-Lehi, and that literally means the lifting up of the jawbone. And I find that interesting because a lot of times when men of God would have victory in their lives, they would usually name it in honor of God. This is what God has done for me. This is where God has provided for me. This is where God has given me the victory. But he, he sits there, this is the lifting up of the jawbone. And then in verse number 18, this is the first mention where we see that he prays to God. He, we see him pray twice. Um, in the Bible, and this is the first time where you see any kind of uh, uh, communication with God. And it says in, in verse number 18, And he was sore athirst, and called on the Lord, and said, Thou hast given this great deliverance into the hand of thy servant, and now shall I die for thirst, and fall into the hand of the uncircumcised? 
And you even see in his prayer to God, his attitude towards him. And we see in verse number 19, but God clave in hollow place that was in the jaw, and there came water thereout. And when he had drunk, his spirit came again, and he revived. Wherefore he called the name thereof and Hakor, which is in Lehi unto this day. So it's almost like he cast that bone off after the victory, and he names the place there, and he cries to God, and he says, God, I'm thirsty. You've delivered me. Are you going to let me die of thirst now? And it's almost like God points him back to that jawbone, like, you remember, it's all about me. I was the one who gave you victory, and he provides him the water through that jawbone as well. And we see that Samson calls this place Anhakor, and that's another interesting thing because that means the well or fountain of him that called. The spring of him that called upon God. So once again, he names this place, not saying this is where God has provided for me, but he says, this is where I have called upon God. This is the place, this is the fountain of him that called upon God. So time after time in his life, we see these different things where Samson is calling the shots. He's living his life. He's doing it in his timing. His motivation is all in the heat of the moment. In verse number 16, we see it slide into other things. In verse number 1, it says, Then Samson, then went Samson to Gaza and saw there an harlot and went in unto her. So once again, Samson here is living his own life. He's calling the shots and he's feeding his flesh and he goes in unto this harlot. And we, as we read the passage of verse number 16, we see that the Philistines surround them and they're surrounding him, waiting to kill him as he leaves that building. And we see that Samson waits until midnight and we see with the strength he walks off with the doors of the gates of the city and the posts altogether. Another example we're going to look at is um, in the time of Delilah and as he's there with Delilah and uh, the Philistines come unto her and they say, you need to find out, they pay her and say, will you find out the source of his strength? And Delilah asks him, and as I'm reading this, I'm thinking, once again, here's an opportunity for Samson to say, my strength comes from God. You know, it's a great time for him to once again point to God and honor him. But like I was mentioning, his motivations, his thing, his, uh, his life was, wasn't pointing to God. It was never trying to honor God in everything. And we see here that Delilah asks the source of his strength. In uh, chapter 16, verse number 7, it says, And Samson said unto her, If they bind me with seven green widths that were never dried, then shall I be weak and be as another man. Uh, Verse number 12, it says, Delilah therefore took new ropes and bound him therewith and said unto him, The Philistines be upon thee. She had uh, said in verse number 11, sorry, Bind me fast with new ropes that never were occupied. And then in verse number 13, it says, And Delilah said unto Samson, Hitherto thou hast mocked me and told me lies. Tell me wherewith thou mightest be bound. And he said unto her, If thou weavest the seven locks of my head with the web. So once again here, he's not taking this opportunity, and he's just going along, he's playing these games. It's, not, it's one of the examples that I, I realize where he likes to show off. He likes to, to show his... Um, to show his proudness, and it comes out here in that time of speaking with Delilah. 
And we know what happens here. They eventually tells uh, Delilah, and he, she convinces him, and they come upon him as he sleeps, and they cut off his locks. And in verse number 21, we see that he ends up grinding in the prison. But the Philistines took him and put out his eyes and brought him down to Gaza and bound him with fetters of brass, and he did grind in the prison house. At this time, they finally, the Philistines have got um, their enemy, the one that's killing all the Philistines. They've got him. They finally found out his, his weakness, and they have him bound and grinding in the prison. And we see that they eventually have this big party, and they're, doing, they're making offerings to their uh, idol god Dagon, and the Bible says that they were made merry, or in other words, they were drunk. And Samson, the Bible says that they, uh, Samson made them sport. So they literally called on Samson, and there's Samson with his eyes put out, and they're making sport of him. And whether they're mocking him, maybe because of his strength, they were saying, you know, lift this up, trying to uh, give him commands where, where they knew that he couldn't do it, whatever it is. The Bible says they made sport of him. They made mockery of him. And I believe they're making mockery of God as well. As they're there praising Dagon and giving him offerings. And at this point we see, um, we see Samson's, uh, second prayer in verse number, uh, sorry, I lost the verse. In verse number 28. It says, And Samson called unto the Lord and said, O Lord God, remember me. I pray thee and strengthen me. I pray thee only this once, O God, that I may be at once avenged of the Philistines for my two eyes. And once again, here's his second prayer that we know of, that we read in the, in the scripture. And once again, he's praying for a physical uh, thing where he's saying, I want to avenge the Philistines for my eyes. And once again, a personal things where he's not saying, no, Lord, give me this one last chance to serve you. Give me this one last chance to avenge you, to honor your name, that all may be done to your glory. And we look at the Samson show and this big, all the proudness of his life and what he had done and the great plans that God had for him to deliver the nation of Israel. And you look at him, someone with so much potential, and you say, what causes a great man to fall. 1 Corinthians 10, 12 says, Wherefore, let him that thinketh he standeth take heed, lest he, fall, lest he fall. You know, God forbid that we as Christians get to a place where we think we won't fall. You know, we see people with talent. We see people with strength. We see people with, with that just fit the part. They, they have great potential you know, they say the right things, they do the right things in front of the right people. And we, we don't know their heart, but we look at them and we say, man, they got potential. But what causes someone with so much potential to live their life this way? And we've seen it happen. We've seen men fall. We've seen great men fall. We've seen people with potential fall. And there's uh, two things I want to notice today about uh, Samson, two different areas uh, where we can see why he ended up uh, failing in the end. And uh, Roman number, numeral number one, we see the internal attributes. And as I was thinking at, about all these different things that Samson was, he was he was quick to anger. You know, he was proud. He was he was a cocky person. And I began to think about all the different things that went on in his life. And First John two sixteen came to my mind. 
It says, for all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, it is not of the Father, but it is of the world. And we see these attributes in Samson's life. We see the lust of the flesh. Throughout his life, we see him um, put himself in a position to sin. We think about Samson, first of all, going down uh, to Timnath, to the Philistines. You know, he shouldn't have been going there in the first place. And as we read in, um, in chapter 14, verse number 5, it says, Then went Samson down and his father and his mother to Timnath and came to the vineyards of Timnath. So they're already going to where they're not supposed to be going. And then the Bible says that they came to the vineyards. And so if you read in Numbers chapter 6 about the, the Nazareth vials, he was to have nothing to do with the vines or the fruit of the vines. And yet still we see him in a position to sin, a position where he shouldn't have been. We see him surround himself with the wrong people. First of all, like I said, he went down uh, to Timnath where he shouldn't have been. And then we see these 30 companions come at this wedding feast that he had. And these 30 companions were Philistines. They were the enemy. They were the people that he was marrying into. And he surrounded himself with the wrong people. And as Christians, we need to make sure that we're surrounding ourselves with the right people. It's so easy for us to get caught up in the wrong crowd, the wrong people. Especially as young people, getting caught up with the wrong people, it's so easy. And they'll be quick to lead you to sin. It'll be quick to lead you to where you ought not to be, go- to be going. We see him surrounding himself with these wrong people. We see him indulging in flesh. He went, that, he went unto the harlot. You know, there was no, there was no lead into it. There was no struggle with it. All we see is that he, he went in unto this harlot. He couldn't handle temptation. Um, he couldn't handle Delilah's temptations. He couldn't handle the woman of Tim, Timnath when she said, you know, if you love me, you're going to tell me these things. Same with Delilah. She says, if you love me, you're going to tell me the source of your strength. And the temptations that she gave him, you know, he didn't care about those things. He just indulged in the flesh. You know, the one thing about the flesh is that the flesh doesn't care about consequences. It clouds our judgments. Um, in our WBF, uh, our midweek Bible fellowship, we, we had gone through the life of David. And one of the things we looked at was Dave, in David's life was uh, his sin with Bathsheba and how his judgment was clouded because of that lust in his life. He didn't look at the consequences that would happen to him. He didn't think about what could happen to his family. He didn't think about uh, uh, Uriah, what would happen to him, and all these consequences because his judgment was clouded. And flesh doesn't care about the consequences. And we see that in Samson's life as he's indulging in the flesh and fulfilling his flesh. He's not looking at the consequence. He's not remembering that he is the judge uh, of Israel. And he's supposed to be rescuing the nation of Israel from captivity. And he's not worried about the consequence. When I think about Samson's life and the way he dealt with temptation, the way he dealt with sin, I think of the contrast of Joseph. And you think of someone like Joseph who lived a life where he was mistreated his whole life. We see him sold into slavery by his own brothers. He's in this foreign place. He's in a foreign land. He's speaking a foreign language. He's in the house as a slave. And he was in a place where no one would know if he was going to sin. And yet still, we see that Joseph left his garment and ran 
when tempted by Potiphar's wife. So what's the difference between Joseph and Samson? Joseph knew his relationship with God, and he knew that it was more important. He didn't let the flesh cloud his judgment. He didn't let temptation get in the way. Whereas Samson, we see him here, Samson's the judge of Israel. He was chosen to lead Israel in captivity. He was miraculously born for that sole purpose, and yet still he didn't care about the consequences. He didn't care about his relationship with God. He didn't care about marring God's name because it was the Samson show. It was all about him. It was all about what he wanted in his life. So we see the lust of the flesh. We see the lust of lust of the eyes. Uh, we read in uh, chapter 14, he saw the woman of Timnath. And it uses that phrase uh, many times. In verse number one, he saw her. And then he went down, he saw her. He saw and he demanded the woman of Timnath. He said, I want that. He let the, his eyes control him. And then we see as he travels down to Timnath and they come to the vineyard, do you, want, you know what that's, what's happening? He's letting his eyes affect him, the lust of his eyes, where he's not supposed to have anything to do with the vine, the vineyard. There he is before that. And he goes down, they're having this wedding feast with the Philistines. And you think of someone like Samson, someone who's proud, he's going to want to please his guests. He's going to want to put on a show. You know, he has this great riddle, so you know they're, they're going to be having a great time at this party. But they're the Philistines. They're the enemies of God. You know, they're not Nazarites. You know, as a Nazarite, he was separated unto God. Just as, like, we are, we're to be separated unto God. He was a Nazarite, and he was supposed to be separated unto God. But the Philistines weren't. They were enemies of God, and they didn't believe in God. They didn't have to abstain from alcohol. But here Samson was. We don't know what the Bible doesn't state it, but we can almost guarantee that they probably had alcohol at that wedding, to please his guests. And the lust of your eyes are going to affect what you do. Psalm 101 verse 3 says, I will set no wicked thing before mine eyes. And we see this happening in Samson's life, setting wicked things before his life and seeing lust conceived. James 1.14 says, But every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Then when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin, and sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. And as Christians say, we need to be so careful in guarding our eyes, not letting our eyes lust after things and letting that sin uh, be conceived. And then we see the pride of life. And we see that in every demeanor of Samson. His proudness, his, his way of showing off, the way he took risks. You know, him reacting when he found out about his wife being given to his companion, and the foxes, what ended up happening there? The consequences of that is they ended up being killed by the Philistines. Think about the risk he took with Delilah. You know, here Delilah is, one of the enemies, one of the Philistines. Tell me how you could be bound up. She literally says that. Um, Tell me how you could be bound up, where your strength lies. And he tells her these three different things. He's playing with her once again. His proudness, his cockiness, his way of showing off. And he's telling her these things. And he doesn't realize that she's actually trying these things on him. She's bounding him up. She's tying him up with new rope. She's, she's weaving his hair. And eventually he convinces, she convinces him and he tells him, 
You know, he's, he's taking these risks and being around the wrong people. He was the type of person that would live for the moment. Samson didn't have God's plan in mind. He wasn't thinking about what he was supposed to be doing. He lost sight of God's plan for his life. He had no concern for Israel or its condition. He had no concern for God's glory. He had no concern for anything past his present circumstance. It was all in the moment of what's happening now. I see, I want. I want it, we're going to go get it. You know, I see something I want, I'm going to go onto that harlot. I'm going to have this party. I'm going to go and hang out with the Philistines, with the enemy. He had no concern for God's plan in his life. It was the pride of life. So as Christians, when we look at our lives, and we need to take heed lest we fall. And we may look at someone like Samson and say, well, Samson was a different character. If we're not careful, we're going to be the ones falling. If we're not controlling the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, we're going to be just as easily falling away from God's plan for a life, falling into sin, falling into temptation, and seeing sin conceived in our life. So we see internal attributes, but we see that he ignored authority in his life as well. He ignored authority. And the first one that we noticed uh, this evening was that he ignored his parents. In chapter 14, verse 3, it says, Then his father and his mother said unto him, Is there never a woman among the daughters of thy brethren or among all my people that thou goest to take a wife of the uncircumcised Philistines? And Samson said unto his father, Get her for me, for she pleaseth me well. So think about Samson's parents. Samson's mother, she's barren. She's not able to bear a child. And we see this angel appear before them and say, you are going to conceive a child. You're going to have this miracle of life that you've wanted. And not only that, he's going to deliver Israel. And can you imagine what the parents were like? And as you read through chapter 13, um, you notice that um, they're very concerned about raising Samson. The, the angel tells them about this Nazareth vow, how they're supposed to raise him. And they were concerned about raising him properly to honor God's plan. Um, actually, in chapter 13, verse 12, it says, And Manoah said, Now let thy words come to pass. How shall we order the child? And how shall we do unto him? And also in verse number 8, it says, And Manoah entreated the Lord and said, O Lord, O my Lord, let, my, let the man of God which thou didst send come again unto us and teach us what we shall do unto the child that should be born. And here are parents that want to raise him godly. They realize they have something special. They realize it's a miracle. And they're so concerned with making sure that their son is raised properly and that he's going to fulfill God's plan. And this is the type of parents that Samson had. They had these boundaries. They made sure that he was protected, that he was going to follow God's plan And we need to heed our parents' warnings and our boundaries. Young people, you need to heed what your parents have given in your life. You know, your parents aren't trying to to stop you from from having fun and doing all these things. They're trying to protect you because they know what they want for God to work in your life. I think about Simon and the stuff that he tries to do. You know, we put things in place not because we're trying to be mean to him. That's what we always say. Simon, are we trying to be mean or are we trying to help you? He said, are you trying to help me? Because we put things in place because we know better. We know we're trying to lead him to, to be raised right, to live a life that's honoring to God. And Samson had these boundaries put in place and he ignored the authority 
of his parents. He also ignored the authority of the word of God. I've mentioned uh, several times about the Nazarite vow. We read about it in chapter 13, but also it's mentioned in Numbers chapter 6, verses 1 to 6. They were to separate themselves unto the Lord. And we see that Samson ignored this with the, with the Philistine woman from Timnath. He wasn't separated unto the Lord. They were not to drink wine nor strong wheat, uh, strong drink. Not to come into contact with a dead body. And we see this happens with the lion's corpse. We see it happen with a 30 man. He shook off the clothes. Or no razor to come to his head. And we see that happen with Delilah. You know, God forbid when we think we don't need God's word. The moment we walk through that church door and we walk in thinking that we don't need God's word and that we're not going to change, we're in a dangerous place. When we ignore the preaching of God's word, the truth, not man's opinion, you know, I really appreciated pastor's message this morning. And we saw pastor's heart, you know, pastor's preaching the truth. He's not preaching his opinion. He's not preaching what he thinks. He's preaching the word of God. He's preaching truth. And when we come through these doors, we need to heed God's word and what it says. So we see that Samson ignored the word of God. And we see that in Samson's life as well, that he ignored God or his plan. And if you read through this passage, you know, you don't really read a walk with God that Samson had. We see him pray two times and it was for personal things for himself. We don't read anything about him serving Israel or anything about him being concerned for their spiritual condition. He didn't realize uh, God had strengthened him and gave him victory and provided him water. He didn't even realize that God had left him. He ignored the authority that was in his life. So we see the Samson show didn't end so well. This man of God that was supposed to deliver Israel ended up being mocked with his eyes put out, weak, with God leaving him. God left Samson, and as I was reading this, I was like, you know, God's, God's plan wasn't fulfilled. But that's not true. Because God didn't need Samson. And Judges 14.4 as um, the parents tried to give him advice, it says, But his father and his mother knew not that it was of the Lord, and he sought an occasion against the Philistines. For at that time the Philistines had dominion over Israel. So even in Samson, from the beginning, when he was focused on his own lust, he was focused on what he had in mind, what he wanted, God was still working through it. God was still working through the situation. Despite Samson's motives, God was still fulfilling his plans. We saw it with the woman from Timnath. We saw it with the jawbone in the water. You know, that was God who gave him the victory. God was still working in his life. We saw in all of his victories. You know, God doesn't need us. He doesn't need the Pastor Matt show. He doesn't need me walking around doing my own thing. He needs to be working through me. He needs to be, needs me to be following his plan. And if I don't follow God's plan, if I was to walk out of the church today and never walk back into a church again, if I was never to work, open God's word again, you know what? God is still going to be fulfilling his plan. God's going to still be working. God's still going to be doing great things because it's not about me. It's not me calling the shots. It's God. He's in control. 
And God has a plan for all of our lives. And we may think that we're calling the shots. So easy for us as humans to think that. You know, we think we're so in control of our lives. We think that we got it all in control, all in control. But ultimately, God's will will be done. You know, my show may end up like Samson. Not, or our show may not end up like, or may end up like Samson, not as great in the end. You know, God, but God will eventually get the glory. His plan will still be fulfilled. In Hebrews 11, the Hall of Faith, we still see Samson's name. God still works through Samson's life. Even though we don't see the motives there, even though we don't see, and you know, I'm not going to stand here and say, you know, Samson didn't do anything, because the Bible tells us that Samson would judge over Israel for 20 years. I'm just going by what we read in these passages. But God will get the glory in the end. So we need to take heed lest we fall, just like Samson did in his life, where he was working, trying to do things in his own time, in his own might, in his own plan. Where's your spiritual life today? You know, maybe you think you're standing strong. You know, as Christians, we should be walking through the church doors every day. We should be opening our Bibles every day, not thinking, you know, I'm strong enough, I'm ready for this. We should be seeking God every day. We should be walking through church every day saying, God, I need you because I can't do this myself. Where are you spiritually today? You know, your, your spiritual life is going to be what you let it to be. You know, if you don't want to seek God then your spiritual life is going to be what it is. It's up to you to allow God to work in your life, to seek Him. You know, hearing God's Word on Sunday after Sunday and not heeding to it, not changing, we need to be asking God to change our lives, to draw us closer to Him and allowing Him to work through us. What about some of these things like Samson where he'd put himself in the place of sin? He'd be in places where he wasn't supposed to be. He'd be surrounded where he surrounded by people that he shouldn't have surrounded himself with. Maybe as Christians we look at someone like Samson and in the sense of standing strong, we're looking at other people and we're saying, well, you need to watch out for them because they're going to fall any day now. That is when you're going to be close to falling as well. Focusing on other lives and choices when you're not perceiving what's wrong in your life. Matthew 7, 2 says, For with what judgment ye judge, ye shall be judged. And with what measure ye meet, it shall be measured to you again. And why beholdest thou the mote that is in thy brother's eyes, but considereth not the beam that is in thine own eye? Or how wilt thou say to thy brother, Let me pull out the mote out of thine eye, and behold, the beam is in thine own eye? Thou hypocrite, first cast out the beam of thine own eye, and then shall thou see clearly the cast out the mote of thy brother's eye. We need not be focused on other people. We shouldn't be worried about if someone else is going to be falling. We need to take heed ourselves and examine our own lives and examine if we're allowing God to work through us or we're trying to call the shots. If we're trying to live our own show or if we're allowing God to fulfill his plan in our lives. You know, I hear often people talk about hypocrites in the church. You know, you shouldn't care about hypocrites because what you're saying is your life depends on others rather than you and God. 
And it shows that you have the wrong view of God and the wrong view of your relationship with him when you're living your life based upon what you're seeing in other people's lives. You need to be living your life in honor of God to glorify him. You need to be making choices in your own life and not worried about what your neighbor's doing, not worrying whether your neighbor's going to be falling, whether or not you're going to point a finger when they fall. You should be examining your life and looking to God in your relationship with him. And at the same time, it's so easy for us when we see someone fall to point a finger. It's so easy for us to look at Samson even though God still used them and point a finger and say, look at him, he fell. We need to be encouraging one another in love. We need to be encouraging the brethren. We need to be in unity as a body of believers, encouraging one another, helping each other, helping one another when we're struggling. You know, it's a sad day when, as Christians, when we struggle, we feel like we can't go to anyone because we don't want to be judged. Or we feel like if we've, we've fallen, that we can't go to someone to help us up. Because it's going to come a day where eventually that we need a hand getting up. And if you're going to be pointing fingers, you're going to be looking at people and judging them, the day that you fall, you're not going to have anyone there to help you up as well and encourage you in the word of God. So we look at the Samson show tonight and we see his life. What about your life? Are you living your own show, calling your own shots, doing your own thing? Or are you trying to live God's plan in your life, fulfill his plan, What about your motives? Are your motives self-motives or your motivations to honor and glorify God in everything we do? Wherefore, let him that thinketh he standeth take heed, lest he fall. And let's pray this evening. Our dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for examples that you've given us, Lord. And I pray that you would help us examine our lives, Lord, and that we would take heed lest we fall, Lord. And I pray each and every one of us, Lord, would not get to a place where we we ignore your, our boundaries, we ignore your authority, we ignore your word, Lord, and think that we don't need it, Lord, but that we would each come to a place every day, Lord, where we realize we need you and we're nothing without you, Lord. And I pray you would help us, Lord, to live a life that's honoring and glorifying to you. And we pray this in your son's precious name. Amen.